Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 21 of Off the Course, the podcast where golf course superintendents and other turf heads talk about literally anything other than work. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and my guest today is Jeff Wagner. Jeff is the superintendent and the general manager at Boiling Springs Golf Club. He is a native Oklahoman who moved outside the state to Colorado to launch his career, then returned for the perfect opportunity. Unlike most episodes of Off the Course, we do discuss a fair bit of what is happening on the course at Boiling Springs, but this conversation also features plenty of talk about life in a small town and the challenges and joys of working at a course where there isn't much of a population to draw from. We also talk about Jeff's and the team's efforts to turn Boiling Springs into a true destination course. Before we get going, a word from the longtime sponsor of Off the Course, AquaAid Solutions. For more than 30 years, AquaAid Solutions has been helping turf managers around the world develop comprehensive agronomic plans to produce healthy, environmentally aware, safe, natural grass playing surfaces. They're proud to deliver best-in-class solutions for management of key elements for a healthy and sustainable plant system. Their solutions include wetting agents, soil surfactants, calcium and potassium products, and worm-powered turf, all of which help the end user, that's you, optimize his or her agronomic programs. Incorporating AquaAid Solutions' technologically advanced active ingredients with cutting-edge equipment technology and IMANTS, Vrito Cedars, and Seagrow Mobile Grow Systems, turf managers are offered synergistic solutions, delivering long-lasting agronomic value, improved aesthetics, and playability. AquaAid Solutions. Now, building a course into a destination with Jeff Wagner. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, doing great. appreciate you uh, inviting me uh, to be with you today. Of course. And if folks skip the first two minutes or so of this podcast, if they skip the intro, and if they haven't read the August cover story yet, uh, which is all about Boiling Springs, you are both the superintendent and the general manager of Boiling Springs Golf Club in uh in Woodward, Oklahoma, about 12,000 people near the panhandle of Oklahoma. Great story, and I feel like we're going to go even deeper over the next 45 minutes or an hour than we could in six pages in the magazine. Uh, Really looking forward to this. Before anything else, you are an Oklahoman through and through. You were born there, you were raised there, you moved back. Uh, Where else have you lived? Um, So... I guess uh, we'll skip straight to college. My journey began in Stillwater. I'm a, a proud OSU cowboy. There you go. And uh, graduate of their turf grass program. Um, and so, uh, you know, kind of out of the gate, I, it's kind of one of those stories where the I think the golf course industry found me, uh, not so much the other way around, where initially upon declaring my major, uh, I was kind of committed to sports turf. You know, um, there was just a... A real intimidation to me about the scope of the 
you know, the job, I guess, uh, managing a, a golf course, it just was overwhelming, I think, um, because of the size, the acreage, uh, the variation. I was, uh, you know, probably a really average student and uh, didn't set the bar real high for myself in hindsight. I, and not to oversimplify what the sports turf guys do. They have a really uh, difficult job as well. But I liked the idea of seeing four walls around the property I was hired to manage. And, uh, and uh, again, uh, maybe the more of the simplicity of it. But, uh, you know, my parents were school teachers growing up. I grew up in Enid, which is about an hour and a half uh, due east of Woodward. Woodward's about two and a half hours northwest of Oklahoma City. Um, and so uh, my parents were school teachers. So growing up, I had all summer off, you know, uh, with my folks. And uh, we traveled the country regularly. And, uh, you know, I every year, though, we would uh, end up in Colorado. And um, it became a very sentimental destination for me, traveling there every year as a young child. And uh, so the love affair began at an early age, just kind of the outdoor lifestyle and the sunshine and the, the dry climate, all of the above. Um I just uh, had a real strong desire to uh, someday live in Colorado. So fast forward, um, you know, I had a couple opportunities lined up in the sports turf arena and uh, just kind of had this little voice in my head that always kind of, you know, maybe suggested that if I could get an opportunity to move to Colorado, then I would be willing to, uh, you know, entertain the idea of working at a golf course. Well, lo and behold, uh, I threw an application in the hat at uh, Iron Bridge Golf Club in uh, Glenwood Springs, and uh, I got a call back from uh, who initially, or at that point, little to my knowing, at that at that point became a mentor of mine, and kind of the reason I, you know, committed to the industry. Patrick Barai called me and uh, and hired me sight unseen. There was housing provided, and so I packed up that summer of 2006 and. Moved to Glenwood Springs and uh, worked for Eric Forrester up there, and it was a 90-day boot camp. Uh, anyone out there that's worked for Eric uh, can <laughs> uh, can agree with uh, you know his management style, and it was the, one of the best summers of my life. And um, and so that really is kind of where it started. Uh, uh, the, by the time I left Glenwood Springs in '06, um, I already had a job lined up down Valley at Roaring Fork Club really high-end private facility uh, just outside of Aspen in a little town called Basalt. Uh, again, the industry has taken really good care of me. Uh, at the end of the summer of 2007, uh, I graduated and then uh, had a job lined up pretty much um, before moving uh, back to Stillwater at uh, the Glacier Club uh, down in Durango, a 27-hole private mountain golf facility it's now evolved into a 36 hole it's 27 when i was there and uh, so i got hired kind of right out of college as an assistant superintendent at the glacier club and, and my girlfriend at the time now my lovely wife and the mother, mother of my children um uh, his family has deep roots in in the denver metro and uh you know prior to moving to durango enid was the biggest city i would ever lived in had no intention of ever living in a big city i was always drawn to the mountains and, and the lifestyle that came with uh, living in that setting. And so I tried really hard for her last semester to get her to move to Durango. And uh, had she had she done that, we probably wouldn't be talking here today. And so it's kind of a classic love story of you know, small town boy leaving uh, the, uh, the, the small town mountain community to uh, 
to move to the big city for for a woman and so <laughs> uh yeah. it is one of those fork in the roads you know uh, i always reflect on regularly but um yeah so then uh i left the glacier club and uh got hired as the assistant superintendent at uh, blackstone country club in uh southeast part of the denver metro um kind of between aurora and parker um it's a really fast growing area of the of the city and um so I've actually, for as long as I've been in this, I've, I've actually not moved around a whole lot. I was at uh, Blackstone Country Club in Denver uh, for almost eight years, I guess. And then, um, uh, oddly enough, born and raised in Oklahoma. And uh, this is my first golf course to manage in Oklahoma. Actually, the first job I ever applied for out of Colorado. I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there similar age as me that after the uh, 2008 you know, housing collapse and financial crisis. Uh, there's a lot of golf markets around the country that went through a real kind of redefining period. And uh, I think Denver really weathered the storm relative to a lot of, you know, bigger city areas across the country. And really kind of what led to the move was, uh, you know, I think we went through three or four different either management contracts and or ownership changes uh, during my time at uh, Blackstone and and that's kind of what just uh, you know prompted us to maybe think after our last the last buyout uh, we got I was working for a company out of Atlanta called Sequoia and a great company still had a lot of uh, a lot of great memories with them and we got bought out by Club Corp um, mm-hmm. in a really large acquisition I think that October of 2014 I believe is the year and, and uh, so anyway um, it was just kind of one of those times we felt like it was time to maybe look elsewhere and pursue other options. And, you know, when I moved to Colorado, I never thought there's any chance in Haiti that, uh, <laughs> I would end up back in Oklahoma, but, but here we are. So. Well, you, you took the next question right out of my mouth. I was going to say, you know, when you move out to Colorado in your twenties and you're young and you're idealistic and you've got literally 40 or 50 years of, of your career at you, did you ever think you'd be back in Oklahoma? Yeah. And, and obviously not, no. No, not a chance, man. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it was totally a, my getting hired at Boiling Springs was not coincidence. I just, I feel like uh, I was just made for the job. And um, a lot of, you know, obviously me being familiar with the area, I grew up, my family had a, has land run roots in uh, Western Oklahoma. And so I was really familiar with the area. And, uh, my poor wife, <laughs> uh, you know, has really, uh, I think my poor wife, she's really adopted the small town lifestyle in, in stride. And, uh, but, um, you know, the big reason and really who deserves a lot of the credit and, and he was mentioned in our story that, uh, John Dunn, he's an attorney out of Oklahoma city that owns uh, a golf management company. He owns, uh, 36 hole club in Amarillo and uh, two 18 hole private courses, one in Northeast Dallas and one in San Angelo, Texas. So he's uh, been in the business a long time and you spend 30 seconds on the phone with John Dunn and uh, he's a guy you want to work for and having, you know, been a, been a product of corporate America for, you know, eight or 10 years. uh, John has just been such a blessing for us working for his group and his team. And uh, John, had the management or has and still currently holds the management contract for Boiling Springs serving the municipality of the city of Woodward. And so, um, 
it's funny. It's one of those, you know, heart flutter moments. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday getting applying for the job and John calling me the next day and talking to him for one minute and knowing that I had the job and that, uh, you know, I was about to embark on a really special journey. And then, uh, you know, over the series of kind of traveling back and forth and looking at the property and talking to John and the golf course architect, who's a personal friend of John's, Jeff Bloom. Uh, those two really, I think, deserve a lot of the credit for recognizing what Boiling Springs could become and, and uh, you know, recognizing that we've got something here that, you know, takes me back to a, uh, a quote that Guy mentioned in our emails back and forth. Uh, Guy mentioned to me that he had repeatedly kind of studied our aerial drone photos and made a comment that he has not seen anything like it in the United States, and, and he's exactly right. And uh, uh, that was just kind of the beginning, but I knew upon first visit that there was something special there. And um, and now six years later, um, you know, I've kind of, I guess John and Jeff Bloom, you know, been familiar with the property for over 20 years and always thought if they ever got the chance to work with the facility uh, that the site was elite. And um, I really just came in and got on board and shared in their vision and their passion and excitement for what the, what the facility and the property could be and uh, really just kind of executed that vision. And, um, and now I think we're, you know, Guy's willingness to kind of jump on board with our story, we feel like is kind of the first domino to fall in us starting to receive some some national attention, which is obviously extremely exciting and, and satisfying for our team. Well, I mean, maybe the next domino, one of the earlier dominoes, I have to think, was, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think one of the things that John said in the story to Jack Leckler, our intern who reported and wrote it, was to find someone like you who, more or less from the area, you grew up a few hours away, uh, but an Oklahoman who has a passion for the state, who has a passion for Boiling Springs, who wanted to come there and who wanted to work and was qualified to build it up. I feel like that's, that's the first domino. Uh, a couple of magazine covers is, is just the latest for you. That, that, that's a great point, you know, and, and, and that's where I, I firmly believe this was just absolutely God's plan for us to be back in this area and that, you know, to connect John and myself and how, you know, we're, we're, kindred spirits in a way relative to our passion about this site. And, uh, and that, that, that is a good point. I mean, we're, we're here for a reason and, uh, um, it took a lot of work to get to this point. And funny enough, kind of the power of social media, which kind of got, you know, um, the project kind of highlighted after five years of work, uh, was just, uh, kind of an amateur hour drone session last October, and it's the, it's the photos that, you know, kind of snowballed all this interest. Back in October, my boss, John's partner in Amarillo, who's the PGA golf professional and general manager at Tascosa Golf Club in, in Amarillo, um, kind of the home base for our management company, brought the drone over on just one of his quarterly visits, and we got it up. And it's the first time I'd seen uh, all the scale and the scope of our work from that perspective and the five years since I had been there, it was like seeing my property for the first time. And man, we were just all kind of just 
you know, lit up with excitement about, we couldn't believe what we were seeing from this elevated perspective. And, and, uh, I just kind of, you know, posted them innocently on Twitter, really excited about what I was seeing. And that really is kind of where all of this started. And then that led into, uh, locally, uh, Ken McLeod with Golf Oklahoma has always also been a, just a real benevolent ambassador for what we're trying to create and, uh, get the word out on up here is uh, Ken got a hold of the photos and reached out to John and felt like uh, Boiling Springs was due for an update. Uh, he did a feature on uh, the reopening on the golf course. The golf course shut down oh, 10 or 11 years ago and uh, when John kind of got involved initially and Jeff Bloom redesigned the bunkers and re- redesigned and reshaped a lot of the greens and it's kind of a really you know small town community effort and, uh, you know, there were some severe struggles right out of the gate. Uh, you know, there's this huge level of excitement. And then uh, for various reasons, uh, uh, those, you know, year or two out of the gate, uh, they struggled to keep the greens alive. And, and uh, you know, a lot of the trees we had taken out there, you know, that effort hadn't been undertaken yet. And so I came in about two years later. And um, anyway, Ken, Ken did a story after the renovation and uh, saw the drone photos, you know, what that would have been six or seven years after the reopening and felt like we were due for an update. And so Ken was um, really instrumental, I think, in starting getting the story out. We got featured in the uh, 2021 travel edition of Golf Oklahoma. And uh, I think ultimately is a lot of the reason we're talking here today because it led us, led us to you guys. And I think Guy's right, and I'm sure you've seen him too, Matt, that uh, you look at some of those drone photos we took last oh, they're, October. They're wild, yeah. We're we're without peer yeah. uh, from a topography and a terrain and a and a, you know uh, layout standpoint. Uh, we're without peer for hundreds of miles in any direction. Where was the course? You were what? You were about four or five years beyond the renovation by the time you came in, where was the course at when you came on board in, was it about 2015, 2016 yeah, early? 2015. That's right. I started in spring of 2015 and, uh, inherited about two acres of bent grass that needed regrowing. And, um, so obviously that, you know, that first year, um, we, we, we didn't really get, you know, dug into the real work uh, at hand until 2016. That first year was just kind of getting the greens back on solid footing. And uh, We're native sandy soil, kind of a California-style green, push-up native sand. And uh, we have a critical nematode issue here due to our kind of indigenous sandy soils. And, you know, there's been some uh, products come come to market since that time that's really helped us kind of stabilize that problem and, and overcome that, that hump. Anyone that's managed transition zone bent grass uh, with nematodes can share in our misery. That's uh, a really difficult challenge, not only to overcome, but to communicate to your, your golfers, um, a microscopic organism in your soil, eating your roots and preventing you from surviving July and August and under degree heat. That's kind of an Easter budding scenario, getting people to believe in something they can't see and, so that was a real challenge out of the gate. So really that first year was just kind of, you know, steadying the ship, so to speak, um, getting the operation back on stable ground and getting the bent grass regrown and, 
And so the real, you know, heavy lifting didn't start until 2016. And that's really, I think, the part of the story that I'm most proud of is, um, you know, we're set on about 120 acres north of the Canadian River on pure native sand. I mean, it, there's just no rhyme or reason why it exists here. There's just a little strip called the Western Sand Belt. It kind of traverses from, you know, Woodward southeast towards Oklahoma City on the north side of the Canadian River. And uh, it's just... Um, it's almost indescribable, man. I mean, you think of Northwest Oklahoma that we're cut out in the middle of a pasture and it's just the vertical relief here, the, the, the topographical, the, the scale of the movement. Um, it's just, uh, it's unlike anything, you know, like I said, in the entire state, but all those unique characteristics that I felt, you know, really kind of, uh, elevated the potential was hiding behind 35 years of underbrush and, red cedar invasion you know hmm. really what we embarked on in 2016 up until the present day hadn't been done in 35 years i mean we were exposing you know areas that hadn't seen the light of day in, in a lifetime and um you know it's it's hard to quantify i guess the the degree of the invasion over that length of time uh, i think it's just such a slow gradual process that you know it just before you knew it, the, uh, I mean, it was just every, every play line, every fairway, every corridor was completely devoured and invaded by the Eastern Red Cedar. And almost to the point where it was starting to devour, you know, portions of the golf course itself. And so, you know, that winter of 2016, I was following deer trails and cutting through jungle and scouting out every nook and cranny of the property and, walking up and down sand dunes and trying to strategize a, a starting point because it was, it was so bad. It was like, you know, you, you, you struggled one to comprehend it and two, where the, where the hell to even start, you know? And so, but the more I got back into those areas, man, there was just so much, it's just packed with off factor, you know, the star of the show was just begging to be seen, but it was just hiding behind the curtain. And so not only aesthetically was it, know detracting from the potential and uh really the special features of the site uh agronomically uh it was just man it was making growing bank grass at a high level almost impossible uh you couldn't see from one hole to the other there were no lines of sight there was certainly no airflow well couple that with you know uh high nematode populations and we're also effluent water we're the primary disposal source for the city's wastewater um that's the holy trifecta in this business man those are those are uh, simultaneous issues that are you know almost impossible for a high-end caliber operation to overcome we're facing all three at once and spending less than four hundred thousand dollars a year <laughs> on your maintenance budget that's you know that's a world-class challenge and so really yeah. what we did then was we started with uh, benefiting the greens and really what that led us to was starting internally and working outward. Right. So started starting in areas where we felt like uh, airflow was being inhibited the most work where we benefit the greens the most. And so that's kind of how it started in 2016. And then five years later, you know, Bermuda grass is dormant up here almost six months a year, so it gives us a lot of time to really dig in and 
to this just massive Herculean effort, I guess. And I told Ken McLeod, and I get a lot of deer in the headlights look when I drop this number, but it's, you know, the, the numbers over six figures. I mean, it's a hundred thousand trees we pulled out in almost six years and a hundred thousand <laughs> might actually be an understatement. That's crazy. And, uh, we've done it with very little, a couple chainsaws, uh, a couple guys and, and, uh, and a tractor. Uh, and, and there's no secret sauce. It's just nonstop, relentless, continual effort and just chipping a little way at a time. And there's no magic potion. There's no, there's no easy way to do it. It's just doing four or five hours every day for six years straight for six months a year. And, uh, you can see because of the fact we're talking today, uh, what we felt like was hiding behind the curtain. Uh, is starting to garner national attention, and that kind of really illustrates uh, the level of the potential we feel the site has. And uh, we're still a long ways from the finish line, but we're a lot closer to the finish than the starting line at this point, so that's really satisfying for us, too. I imagine you're getting a little more sleep these days than you were in 2015, 2016, and on. You know, still long days, uh, just not maybe... 18 hours now maybe it's down to 14 hours yeah right well it's it's uh i've learned my way around a chainsaw pretty good <laughs> i'll tell you that much and uh, safety first yeah yeah but you know hey i'll just say that you know the satisfaction you know when you do this for a living uh you're kind of programmed for quick results right and and uh this was one of those where obviously that wasn't possible and i think you know we're all superintendents are I think the most satisfying thing of doing this for a living is you know committing to a project and and seeing the end results uh I think that's kind of why we do this and get up every day and battle mother nature and the elements and all these things fighting against us in our daily routine the more we peel back the layers the more excited we got and so actually as opposed to developing fatigue in the process you know, three, four, five years down the road, it got more exciting for us to do it, which I think is a, a cool piece of the story too. There was never really any exhaustion point of like, God, what are we doing this for? Is anyone going to even notice, you know, and it just kind of felt overwhelming at times, but uh, that's just how cool this site is. Uh, the undulation and the topography and the 20 and 30 foot sand dunes uh, hiding behind uh, 35 years of overgrowth. And, you know, it's kind of like Pinehurst meets Prairie Dunes is uh, kind of the aesthetic we've got here, and uh, or ro- like a Royal Melbourne, you know, similar characteristics to the Melbourne Sandbelt. There's just there's very few uh, comparisons to be had with us. I think that's what's so cool and what people are really starting to see. We have a really fun layout routed through forested sand dunes, and uh, that doesn't exist many places on inland sites in North America, but it does in Woodward. <laughs> so... You said just a minute ago, there was really no point of exhaustion. There was really no point of what are we doing this for? But you also mentioned right before we started recording that, you know, while national rounds were up about 15% last year, you have experienced even bigger numbers. And so the question of who we're doing this for, your rounds in 2020 were up 29, uh, up what, 30% over 2019. And this year, you mentioned that they're up about 20 more percent. Uh, from last year. So clearly uh, people are coming. And, and you also mentioned that in a town of 12,000, 
you know most of the people who are going to come and play. Right now, you don't know everybody on the course, so the word is getting out, and, and folks are coming, I'm guessing, all over Oklahoma, but maybe some Texans and, and maybe some Nebraskans and, and maybe folks even farther away. No, that you're exactly right, and I think uh, we've kind of put all of our chips on the table, John, Jeff Bloom, and myself, and that ultimately we have a destination-caliber product and then, um, you know, sprinkle in a little COVID-19 on top. And it was kind of an aligning of the stars for us, you know. And again, I don't think this is coincidence in any way that, you know, we've undertaken this just colossal effort. And we finally kind of get to this unveiling stage, you know, right after the pandemic, uh, you know, kind of rears its ugly head. And then suddenly golf as a whole, as a game and as an industry, you know, we're one of the few industries that I think ultimately stands to benefit from this. And I think that's a really unique opportunity for us uh, as an industry that, um, you know, it's really, I think, forced the average American to step back and really reevaluate the, you know, the value of outdoor leisure. And you're playing by the rules on a golf course, man, there's not much of a safer place to be in in a pandemic environment. And so all this, you know, the irony of all this timing and how I kind of really, I think, um, developed this appetite, you know, we call it the wormhole. Uh, it just kind of really uh, put into overdrive this appetite for destination golf, right? Now, suddenly, you know, the 30 to 40 to 45-year-old professional from a big city, now it's cool to come to Woodward for a weekend, you know, and I don't think that existed 10 years ago. Um, and so that has been the fundamental driver of our increased numbers. And uh, we're hoping it's not a fad. We're hoping it's a trend that uh, we can kind of bank on in the future. But I think uh, I got to think there's other courses around the country that probably share a similar story. But due to our, you know, we, we kind of at this point, we don't look at our isolation as a, uh, as a negative now, we look at our isolation as an opportunity, and uh, I firmly believe there's no coincidence with the timing of all this, but, uh, you know, now we're, like I said, we're kind of form of a, tri- a triangle, I guess, to kind of, uh, to give your listeners a, a visual or some kind of concept of where we're located, we kind of form of a triangle with Amarillo and Oklahoma City, and uh, so when I say there's not a big city for two and a half hours it's uh, we're the only 18 hole game in town for like almost 90 miles in any direction and so uh you have to drive from a considerable distance and you have to invest a significant amount of time to make the pilgrimage to boiling springs and and i know for five years uh i've really worked hard to kind of create this culture with my operation that when you're in this location you got one chance you know to make a great first impression you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on a, a small town operation, a small town crew in a limited resource environment, right? Like our like our operation is, is whether it's a Tuesday in April or a Thursday in July, someone's gonna drive two hours to come see you. By God, you better you better knock it out of the park. And I think um, that had not been done historically at Boiling Springs and told people when I first moved here it takes two years to turn around bad greens, but it takes you know, 10 years to turn around a bad reputation. And that's kind of the the hand we were dealt upon my arrival was this kind of just repeated squandered first impression opportunity. 
and uh, I think we've now overcome that. And uh, again, in this post-pandemic world, um, a two-hour escape to the sticks is kind of what young families are after. And uh, we're bringing new new players to Boiling Springs at droves, uh, which again is uh, hopefully a, an exciting testament to uh, the product we created up here. Just a real quick aside, and, and maybe we can file this under the joys of working in a small town, but have you had much interaction with restaurants, hotels, other businesses in and around Woodward who have passed along that, Hey, you know what folks are, folks are coming in and you know, they're eating here, they're staying here, they're shopping here, or, or is that taking it uh, a little too far at this point? No, no, I don't, I don't, I think that's no matter you hit it on the head. I mean that we're, we're, you know, Boiling Springs Golf Club is emerging as really the anchor for tourism uh, awesome. in Northwest Oklahoma, and there's a unique beauty to this area if you're willing to embrace it, and uh, especially in the Boiling Springs State Park and Golf Club location, uh, the tree cover, the river, the wildlife, um, all of the above. I, I was telling someone the other day: the longer I'm here in a small town, I'm, I'm starting to, and the, and the more you know, destination customers I'm talking to day in and day out. What's cool, you know, and of course, living in Denver for eight years, I can I can totally relate to the other side. But uh, you know, I'm starting to learn and see and understand that people are coming to Boiling Springs for as much as what we don't have is what we do have. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you live in a big city, you just become programmed for the grind, right? The the buzz and the rush and the fast paced and you just become a product of that and you forget how to slow down, you know, the, the, the rushing to get one car ahead, the, the traffic insanity, the constant buzz of the city, the interstate noise, um, the hustle and bustle, uh, man, when you come to boiling Springs, you are completely removed from that. And, uh, you know, when you're here every day, you or I know I do, I start to, overlook that and maybe take it for granted a little bit that you tee off at Boiling Springs at 7.30 in the morning and all you hear is the turkeys gobbling and, you know, you see the deers eating the mulberries and squirrels running around and there's no sign of life or civilization on property. There's no homes on site, no jogging trails, no fitness center. I mean, you are immersed in this secluded, isolated, captive environment, which is like so rare nowadays i mean when's the last time you played a golf course that didn't have a house on it you're making you know? me think well i won't answer that because it was only a few months ago but uh, the, the point <laughs> the point the point remains there aren't many you're right you're yeah and, and so but i think that again that kind of weekend getaway that rural escape that uh, you know feeling of seclusion and the tranquility i think and the and almost the therapeutic vibes that come from that uh, whether that's COVID related or not, but we got it in droves. And I think again, that those things we don't have are as inviting and attractive as, is there's just killer, unique, unbelievable sight that we have, you know, you couple those two things together and that's why we're showing up on the covers of magazines is, uh, you know, the products to the point now where, it's an attractive destination, man. And that's, uh, and really in a lot of ways we feel like we're just, we're just getting started. There are a lot of golf courses that are a little bit removed from 
big cities. You're very removed from the big cities, like you said, a couple hours from Oklahoma City, a couple hours from Amarillo. What are some of the challenges in being that far removed, both professionally and, and personally, Jeff? Yeah, obviously the inconvenience, you know, with a young family and young children and, uh, you know, the lack of variety. Let me get honest here as a, as a dad and a husband and someone that likes his time away from the golf course, uh, you know, you got to get creative on your recreational, you know, choices. And, um, and, uh, and I'll say as a, as a, you know, the hardest thing for me, Matt, when I moved here, literally, this sounds so silly, but was learning how to slow down. When you live in a big city, you're always in a hurry, but you don't really know why. You're just a product of, the, of that environment, right? And I was really overcome by that. Uh, and it took me at least a year to drop my road rage tendencies and not honk at everybody because I did go off the stoplight and, you know, 0.003 seconds. And, you know, you have to unlearn a lot of that programming of like, sometimes I felt guilty for just coming home and, you know, having nothing to do. <laughs> it was such a weird kind of brainwashing to unlearn. And that sounds so silly, but like literally just learning how to slow down was probably the biggest challenge. Right. Uh, you know, operationally and professionally, obviously I'm, I'm kind of in a rare category because I've seen, you know, I've, I've volunteered a lot of, PGA events, senior PGA events, I've seen this done at, a, at, at the highest of levels. I've worked at, you know, really, really exclusive high-end mountain clubs, and I've seen this at, you know, uh, an operative level of under $400,000 a year. You know, my payroll budget in Denver was bigger than my entire operating budget in, in uh, at Boiling Springs, and so obviously that's made me a much better superintendent uh, in so many ways, much more creative and, and resourceful. Um, I will say operationally, the biggest challenge for me is that it's not, and I don't mean this judgmentally in any way, this is just an observation is, you know, you go back to my title of being general manager and golf course superintendent. Well, I'm a golf course superintendent at heart, right? I mean, that's what I eat, sleep, and breathe, but we're just small enough potatoes to where, you know, you can throw in the GM title. So the biggest challenge for me there is, you know, in the Denver market, in the mountain environment, you're surrounded by talent, right? You had guys, you know, Denver, the Colorado market is so competitive because it's such an attractive lifestyle and climate and all the above. It's a 12-month season, great summers, six months of uh, winter sports and trails and snowmobiling and so forth. And long story short, if I leave Boiling Springs tomorrow, I'm, I'm the only one going to another golf course. And so that's been really... Uh, a significant challenge for me. And my point is, you know, the people that I work with, my team, who are just phenomenally hardworking people who have totally bought into the culture we created, well, they're not going to quit Boiling Springs and go work at another golf course. That, that's just the reality. And so um, I guess, you know, me being kind of the only industry guy on site. I'll use the term grassroots, no pun intended. But, uh, you know, some of my staff, when they start, they don't know what a fairway is. They don't know what a bunker is. They know the green's the one with the flag in it. But it's uh, like a literal start-from-scratch type of deal, you know, where it's just kind of hard for me sometimes to pump the brakes and slow down and realize that, 
you know, these people don't see it through the lens that I see it through and in this kind of surgical manner and that it's, you know, once they buy in, they love it. And I've got people that have been with me almost since day one. And that's really rare in the economy here locally and, uh, and just our location. But, uh, yeah, professionally, that, that's the biggest challenge is just um, being surrounded by people that, you know, aren't going to do this as a career. And I, that's something I really took for granted in Denver was, you, know, you always had four guys underneath you that were going to leave in two years to go be superintendents or assistants somewhere else, and I don't, I don't have that here. But uh, probably one of my proudest achievements is that we've accomplished, you know, our goals, and uh, we created this aesthetic uh, and overcome that issue. And uh, you know, adapting to that environment for me professionally has probably been uh, my biggest challenge. When you have people start who aren't aware of what a fairway is, I mean, that is a that is a bit of a learning curve. You're not alone, I'm sure. There's lots of other superintendents who, who deal with that. Oh, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. But still, still wild to hear that, yeah. No, you, you, yeah, you're right. I, that's not uh, exclusive to us. But um, you, know, you can imagine the, you know, when you do this 15, 16, 20 years, you, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's going a long ways back in your <laughs> in your toolkit uh, to, to start from that level. And, and again, I mean, it's, it's not judgmental. It's, it's just, you know, when you're in a big city kind of competitive market, uh, you, you just uh, ultimately, you just kind of become programmed to, to take that for granted. And I'm definitely guilty of that, but that's, uh, you know, that's just uh, our reality in Woodward. And, uh, but here we are, you know, we've obviously overcome it. And, uh, my team is bought in, and they deserve all the credit in the world for, for buying in and committing and uh, really uh, understanding the importance of the premium we placed on that first impression at our facility. You said a few minutes ago the maintenance budget, the annual maintenance budget, about $400,000, and who knows, maybe it'll go up here before too much longer with enough attention and enough rounds increase. But uh, what does that get you in terms of, uh, in terms of crew, both full-time and, and seasonal? these days you know again this is probably one of the most stripped down golf operations you're ever going to interview uh oh no 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 (laughs) no no there there was one uh i talked with not too long ago that was barely six figures so it's uh it's it's all it's all relative yeah i I guess i mean from a staffing standpoint i don't i don't uh you know i don't have an equipment manager uh i don't have an assistant superintendent you know, or one that you would categorize as one that, you know, wants to go on and be a superintendent. You know, I don't have a golf professional, I don't have a spray tech, an irrigation tech. I mean, it's, it, it's literally a, a, a kind of a, a ground up or top down operation, I guess. And, uh, and, uh, anyway, we, like I said, we've, we've overcome that, you know, it's crazy. I read in a lot of, well, uh, publications like yours, I read, a lot all the time about uh, how creative guys all over the country are having to get to kind of fill that labor void, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really the elephant in the room in our business currently is the 9 to $13 an hour labor market in the United States is <laughs> insert any adjective you want, but we're all struggling, right, in, in that particular arena, and I'm no different. And so, you know, I just really uh, – used a lot of resources like yours and on Twitter and GCM and all these things that I come home and read every night. 
uh, and pick up bits and pieces from what's what guys are finding a success with uh, all over the country. And when you work at a high-end country club, sometimes, again, not that you lose that creativity, but you just you become programmed to, you know, operate at such a high level that you don't need maybe as much creativity. I guess I don't want to upset all my high-end friends, but uh, <laughs> you know, for example, you know, I've I've got half the Woodward soccer team working for me this year who work part-time. I've got a lady. What I'm saying is almost none of my staff show up in a traditional sense, mm-hmm. right? Whether they're at 6.30, they work till 2, they take a lunch break, and they go. That, that almost is non-existent in my world. I've got a lady that's been with me for over five years that drives a school bus for the, for the school district. She drives her morning shift. She comes out and works three or four hours before her afternoon shift. Sometimes she'll come back after she's done with her bus shift. I've got a firefighter that works two days on and five days off who works for me part-time. His kids work for me. My wife works at the golf course filling divots, painting tee markers, fixing ball marks. I mean, it's a, a true blue family and small town operation. Um, obviously, we're limited financially uh, with our uh, budget number, and that's kind of, I guess, where the creativity comes in. You know, our people get all the time off they want. We can get by without them, but we don't really operate in that, I guess, traditional workday category, if that makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we don't allow someone not being able to be there at 6.30, prevent them from working. We find If they're good people and they want to work and they're committed and they're bought into what we're doing, we find a spot for them. You know, I've got like six employees with keys to the shop with a trust level, like my own children who know what to do. They come in and they do it. They work hard. They give me their best effort. I don't have to worry or babysit about anybody. It, it, again, you know, I've just I've learned since I started here not to look at these things as negatives, but maybe as an opportunity to kind of increase the community involvement. And ultimately, what that does is create a community sense of pride, uh, especially now that we're getting you know, kind of the infancy steps of this national recognition. Uh, my team's just bursting with pride and, and satisfaction. Uh, and again, I pride myself as the leader of the group that I have no turnover, you know, none. I've got people who have been with me since day one, and uh, a lot of them are cousins and brothers and sisters and, and all of the above. You know, like I said, it's a family affair for us through and through. And uh, if they're good people, uh, they've got a home working for us. And Boys just worked that really well. Now, now we're now we're going to tap into the local network to where I don't even really look for help. The help comes to us because now we're we're recognized as kind of the cool place to work in Woodward, and that, that's a really special thing. That is that. I mean, it takes a while to get there, and five six years you've you've been able to turn that corner and and get what sounds like a heck of a colorful crew and a cast of characters on the course that's uh, I'll leave it at that that's very well <laughs> that's very well described <laughs> that's exactly what they are and it's a we're a very tight knit family oriented group and what I have here is going to be really hard to replicate anywhere else and that brings me a lot of joy your kids started school just today which is why we're talking in the middle of the afternoon and uh, you're going to pick them up here before too much longer. Uh, two questions. Do they get to come to the course very often? 
And now that they're back in school, uh, what do your days look like as both a superintendent and general manager at Boiling Springs? Uh, answer to the first question is yes. Uh, my girls are just getting to the age where I think we've got kind of a blossoming interest in the game. Okay. I know as a, you know, I, always, I always tell my people when I leave the golf course that I have to go to my real jobs, which is true. Um, the only more important job I have, I guess, is a committed husband and committed father. And obviously the small town environment that we find ourselves in today is just done wonders for our family life. You know, we're, we're kind of outsiders in this area and it's really strengthened our, our family bond. And I think, you know, as a, as a man, I know I'm concerned in the future is there's, you know, I'm always looking for opportunities to bond with my young girls. And, uh, as they get older, those opportunities are to become more and more scarce. And I think the, the golf, the golf course and, uh, my access to the course and, and uh, my ability to show up whenever I want and take them with me whenever I want. That's that's something I look at. You know, I tell people all the time, I've got so many, man, I've got so many perks at this job that don't show up in my paycheck. I think the more season you get in this industry, you start to really appreciate those perks, especially when you start growing your family and your kids get older. I, I know having just turned 40 you know this last this last year uh, I've done a lot of reflecting and uh, it takes a few years in this business to really focus on I think uh, what what positives are being provided to you not not what's wrong you know I got a whole host of frustrations we all do I think the more you dwell on what you don't have and the more you can focus on, on what you do have you know one of my old bosses used to tell me all the time I'll never forget you know don't Learn not to stress over things that you don't have control over. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't increase my budget. I can't hire on a seasoned assistant. And you just, you know, you just learn as you get older not to focus on those things. And like I said, I'm, I'm just so blessed, man, to be here and that I, that I am awarded a lot of these perks that you really can't get anywhere else. Very few places in the country do. Uh, are you afforded uh, some of the some of the benefits that I have here that don't show up in your pay or your salary package? And I don't really give a flip about that. So, you know, my wife, we met at Oklahoma State. She has a bachelor's degree. She's kind of put her whole life on hold to be a, a mother. And, and uh, she's committed or she sacrificed unbelievable amounts for, you know, the betterment of my career. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. So she takes care of the girls. She drops them off in the morning. She comes to work at the golf course for four or five hours and she goes to pick up the girls in the afternoon. And so, uh, we've got a really, we got a really tight system here. Of course, you know, I'm in the middle of the grind. So my days are long, you know, kind of got, you know, bent grass fatigue. It's all of us growing bent grass in the transition zone. Usually by August, you're kind of getting, you know, the batteries on low and <laughs> getting tired of those 12 hour days and the wilt watch and the going back and, you know, I don't have much traffic to deal with here, which is another perk. <laughs> I don't sit in <laughs> I don't sit in traffic jams very much, driving back and forth to the golf course, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. I can just, uh, and so, um, you know, my day is not unlike really any other superintendent in America. I mean, I'm, you know, maybe doing a little more work in the shop, setting up mowers, and and uh, you know, all that business, running the crew, and and so forth, but. Uh, you know, the whole goal is 
not to live at your job, right? And so we've, we really, really work on our operational efficiency day in and day out because man, it's just a really challenging environment here, Matt, to grow bentgrass at a high level, and we take a lot of pride in being able to do that. It takes a lot of, you know, pistons firing on all cylinders, so to speak, to, to make that happen at our, at our resource level. And so now six years under my belt, we've uh, had a pretty well-oiled machine on our hands. And so uh, I can't say enough about the team that I have that supports me and who have helped me kind of streamline the operation and take a lot of the load off. Because at the end of the day, man, nobody wants to work 12 hours a day. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know, no, nobody wants that. And I know there's a big conversation in the industry right now, too, about and I, I feel a lot of pride that my generation has kind of, you know, really started this conversation is that work-life balance is extremely important. And I think that's why a lot of the entry-level jobs in this industry are are going unfilled, especially what we're paying assistants right out of the gate with college degrees. I mean, nobody wants to work 60 hours a week for $35,000 a year. It's just insanity. And I hope group of guys my age are really being vocal now with social media as a platform to really highlight some of these, you know, unfortunate, you know, employment arrangements that we're faced with. I mean, there's hundreds of open assistant jobs all over the country. Well, there, that's a, that's a problem, right? Um, Cause this is a great line of work, but ultimately work-life balance, you know, 20 years ago in this industry didn't, it wasn't really promoted, you know, I don't think that's any secret. I'm on Twitter all the time. I mean, it's a common topic of conversation. Anyway, maybe I'm going down the road here on a simple question, but, you know, it's about quality of life. That's why you move from the big city to small town USA. It's, it is that simple. It's a quality of life move. You're going to sacrifice some to get something else. And then that's life. You know, um, sometimes the grass is not always greener and, uh, you know, you're, you're never going to live in a perfect place. And also, if you're convinced where you live sucks, it's going to suck. And so, you know, life gives you lemons, make a lemonade kind of deal. And so we, uh, again, my date doesn't vary from most guys. Grow grass at the highest level your budget will allow you. And uh, make sure your product's worth what you're charging. And make sure your customers come in and leave happy and satisfied and they want to come back and uh and uh that's kind of our philosophy and um if we weren't being successful at that uh, i don't think you and i would be talking today sounds like it'll take a lot uh if anything ever could to get you away from boiling springs and away from woodward uh what's the future look like for you for boiling springs i I, even big picture for golf and Oklahoma, I think there's what, there's like 240, maybe 250 courses right now in the state. Yeah, ultimately, I think, uh, you know, the elephant in the room for us historically, Matt, is that uh, Boiling Springs hasn't seen a capital investment in 35 years. Hmm. And there's four or five pretty high profile courses in the state of Oklahoma now shut down for capital investment, renovations, reconstruction, all of the above. Ultimately, you know, my sweat equity is going to take us only so far and the things we're going to need, cart pass, equipment, pump station, infrastructure, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of, like I said earlier, you know, we're kind of at the starting line. You know, we've, we've been grinding for six years to just to get to the starting line. And that's kind of where we are. And so um, a lot of work, let me tell you, you know, obviously the lieutenant governor is not chiming in on our behalf because, uh, you know, we're some park-style muni and, 
no man's land. We have something special here, and people are starting to see it. And it's kind of the you know the field of dreams scenario. We build it. We know they'll come. So there are some really cool, big time, exciting things going on with Boiling Springs, like today, right now, as we speak. But I'm not at leisure to discuss them publicly. But uh, well, if things when, continue what, to proceed, when you are, when you are, call back and, and we'll yeah, talk I was more. Say, uh, <laughs> and if it, if it does go through, you, you'll probably hear about it before okay. I call back. Uh, it, it's a concept that doesn't exist anywhere in the United States. My team's extremely excited about it. And it's all because of what we have and what we've had all along, but what we had, nobody could see, you know, nobody could visualize it or conceptualize it. And so, you know, John and Jess and Mai's collective vision and passion and excitement for the project have absolutely brought us to this point. And uh, again, that's the ultimate satisfaction, right? Is to put your heart and soul into something and start to get recognized, you know, not for your ego, just because you love what you do. And, um, you know, when you take pride in what you do, uh, the ultimate satisfaction is uh, is is reaching a goal, right? And and a goal that you set out to accomplish, whether it's six months ago or six years ago or whatever the case may be. But you know, ultimately, we're at a really exciting fork in the road. I feel like, and uh, you can't take away that we have something nobody else has. But at the same token, you can't deny that what we need is now what costs the real money, and so that's. I think an exciting place to be as a superintendent. We're, we're having conversation and dialogue uh, of, of the type that we've not had at this facility in a lifetime, you know, three and a half decades. So that also is a testament to our accomplishments, I feel like, as a team. that We've, uh, we're, we, we've taken this property to heights never before seen. Uh, we're, 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 we're generating national interest for, for what we have. Uh, the lieutenant governor is, you know, obviously chiming in on social media on our behalf is, uh, you know, he's unapologetically pro Oklahoman. Sure. He I mean, of course a, he should uh, be. Yeah. He's such, he's such a vocal driving force for tourism in our state. Uh, Oklahoma is a beautiful state. It often gets overlooked, I feel like. And so when that we'll circle back, if all that comes to fruition, but, uh, yeah, there's some really exciting stuff in the pipeline and we're working, we've actually been working on it almost close to a year now. But in order to maintain, you know, the relationship I have with my my bosses, uh, I've got to plead the fifth at the moment. But ultimately, for <laughs> me, working for John Dunn is at the end of the day, I found who I want to retire with, and and I, I think that's a again another perk or a blessing that I have here that I'm grateful for every morning when I wake up and go to work. Six years in, I'm still can't wait to get to the course in the morning, and uh, you know, working for Dunn. Or John finding me and me finding him was divine intervention. We are uh, equally passionate about uh, what we're doing here, and I think uh, you know his administrative support and, and vision out of the gate, and you know me kind of coming in and executing it. I'll tell you another thing that Matt that is really rare these days. I I don't have a board. I don't have a greens committee. You know, if I want to take a tree out, I take it out. I have full kind of artistic control and freedom over the canvas that is Boiling Springs. And that, uh, I think the older you get and the longer you're in this business, you realize that's a rare thing and and uh, one that I don't take lightly. It's hard to place a number value on that, that that's really rare, especially on a site with such potential, you know. And that's, um, for me, kind of the holy grail is uh, I've got such a great canvas to work with and, uh, and a lot of, 
passionate support behind me. It can't get much better than that, can it? You say that you don't have to talk with anybody about taking out a tree, and all I hear is 99.9% of superintendents across the country just thinking, Jeff Wagner's a lucky son of a gun. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no great success story without failure along the way. And uh, I'm not here to talk about my failures, but uh, look, every superintendent's fallen on his face and screwed up and killed grass. And, you know, and I'm no different. And uh, you pick yourself up, you learn from those mistakes. And uh, you're right, though, man. Uh, I mean, what I just what I just described is, is very rare. And uh, not that I overlook my customers' wants or needs. Ultimately, I'm here to serve them and provide them a product they're proud of and that they want to play every day. And that's the ultimate goal. But having your loyal customers kind of stand back and let you execute a plan without much interference is, again, it's a rare thing these days. And, and I'm, I'm really blessed to be uh, able to do that. That's a, a huge benefit for me where I am. And uh, John and Jeff have been big supporters of that too behind the scenes. That's awesome. Well, Jeff Wagner, the superintendent, the general manager of Boiling Springs in Woodward, Oklahoma. We need to get out there. And uh, if you're listening to this, odds are really high you work in the golf course maintenance industry. So if you're ever in western Oklahoma near the Panhandle, uh, get out there, see him, play the course. Sounds beautiful. Cannot wait to see it in person. Thanks for having me, Matt. I really appreciate the opportunity, man. Always love a chance to tell our story. And uh, thanks for giving us this platform to do it. Uh, I'm much very grateful. My thanks again to Jeff Wagner for taking some time to step off the course. My thanks to our sponsor, AquaAid Solutions. And my thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. New episodes of Beyond the Page, Greens with Envy, Off the Course, and the OG Tartan Talks right here every week. Our August issue is online now with a great cover story by our summer intern, Jack Leckler, about Boiling Springs Golf Club. Jack turned in some incredible work this summer, and this cover story is the capstone. Very excited for him as he returns to Ohio University to cover the Bobcats football team this fall. Check out that story and the rest of the new issue at www.golfcourseindustry.com magazine. You can read more industry news and notes in our fast and firm newsletter delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. Sign up online at www.golfcourseindustry.com under the subscribe tab. For Editor-in-Chief Guy Cipriano and the rest of our great golf course industry team, I'm Matt Lowell reminding you that we could not do what we do without you. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.